1: Welcome back, everybody. This is Todd Sylvester with the Todd Inspires Belief Cast. Thank you once again for tuning in. As always, thank you for believing in me, and thank you for sharing uh, these episodes with your family and friends. It really does mean the world to me. We bring amazing people on who have been through some amazing things and overcome crazy obstacles, and it's just so inspiring. I'm I'm the fortunate one because I get to sit with them face to face, typically, and and. But I'm grateful that you guys are here supporting. I want to give a shout out to my sponsors, Siegfried & Jensen, Wasatch Recovery, Thread Wallets, uh, Mori Nutrition, and um, we've got a few others that are kind of silent behind the scenes. So thank you as well for believing in me and helping us get the word out. I love you guys, and it means the world to be able to do this in, on, on this platform. Today, we are joined by Mark Hugentobler, Man, I'm telling you guys, I've been wrestling with this because i had it in my mind for the last three weeks this is how you say it and then i found out i was saying it wrong the whole time so anyway thanks for being patient mark thank you for understanding <laughs> i've been called a lot worse what what what's that what's the background on that last Swiss name? german swiss german yeah. wow so. yeah that's a cool name yeah it's unique yeah, yeah very i yeah it was funny when dave uh our mutual friend from the other side academy reached out and said hey you got to get this guy on your podcast and and he mentioned your last name. And I was like, what, what kind of name is that? And he's like, I'm not sure. <laughs> but uh, but thank you for uh, getting uh, up. You know, you drove a long way to be here this morning, to be on this show. It means a lot to me. And I hope you know that, uh, you know, we think the world of you. And I know Dave says a lot of good things about you. So,
0: Well, well Todd, thanks for having me on the show. Um, the drive was nothing because I think the message is important. And I hope that yeah. it's something that your, your yeah. listeners can relate to and has value.
1: Yeah, you have an amazing uh, biography, by the way. If I could sum it up and, you know, we can we can tap into all the specifics. But, I mean, you're an amazing teacher. And when it comes down to it, I mean, if we're – I mean, and I know you're – but, again, you, you know, reading through your bio and the things that you've done and the the impact you have on people. And I think you were so good at it as, you know, you eventually got sentenced to prison. <laughs> um, Mark um, – for those that don't know, he's the author of the book, All My Friends Are Felons. And right. kind of a funny story, when I first initially saw that book, I thought, oh, this guy's been to prison. He, I wonder what he did, You know, why, did, why was he there, that kind of thing. But you were there in a different capacity which we were gonna get into. And it's remarkable what you did and the impact you had on people. So what I'd like to start off though, with though is tell us a little bit about where you grew up and maybe a little bit about your childhood.
0: Well, I am from a little, What do you, you know, that's, you got to keep it kind of brief, but it's quite a, it's, you know, it's a typical story. I I grew up in a white picket fence life. Hmm. My dad was a dentist. My mom was a homemaker. I had five siblings, an older sister and four brothers. I grew up in a little town called Monticello in Utah. Oh, yeah. Uh, And if you're familiar with that, if you go down past Moab another 60 miles, you'll get there. Yeah. I've never Uh, been there. I've seen the signs, though, but I've. Um, Most people have been, a lot of people have been to Moab, but uh, I had a great, I had a great growing up, uh, great friends, uh, a lot of influential people in a positive way. Didn't, you know, (laughs) we got into mischief. We were kids. Sure. But we were so involved in uh, the sports in our school, dirt bike riding, boating, fishing, hunting, skiing. We just had a really beautiful life there. Yeah, and uh, so things really went pretty well. Uh, I, you know, I have friends that I still communicate with from high school, that are very special. Um, Grew up uh, in a member of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. Uh, I probably wasn't a stellar youth, (laughs) right? In fact, uh, but but I eventually went on a mission, as did almost all my friends. Okay, how Uh, was that? You know, I.
1: I've never been on a mission or anything like that, but I, I hear they're, they're, they're pretty difficult I went in, in to fr- many ways. I went to
0: southern France. Okay. Uh, so uh, some people say, well, you went on vacation. <laughs> but it was a, it was a very uh, life-building experience for me. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. It uh, cemented uh, the things that I believe now. I, yeah. uh, um, I actually wasn't gonna go. I wasn't a firm believer. (laughs) Uh, My friends all were, or my friends all went. My parents were, uh, uh, I had an experience that uh, made me decide uh, to go, but before I went, I had to convert myself. (laughs) I had to really believe in what I was doing, and so that took about eight, eight, nine months. And then once I did that, I went, and it was a great experience. It was hard, Uh, but it was good. I met a lot of good people. I learned a lot about myself, good and bad, yeah. Um but anyway, sure. got home. I always wanted to play college basketball. I went to Snow College, played a little basketball there. Okay. Met my wife, okay, uh, who was from Ephraim. Uh, we got. She had no idea what she was g- getting into. <laughs> <laughs> right. Um, she's still with me though, so that's good. Um, I was always an adventurous guy. Uh, I've never been one to, to be the status quo. I've never been like you know the church thing. I. I wasn't just gonna accept it because everybody else did it. That was not part of who I am. I I wanna figure out things and I wanna do them because they they mean a lot to me. Yeah, right. And so that's kinda where I've been my whole life. I wanted to be a basketball coach, so I went to school, got that education. Actually went back to the same community to start coaching. Spent uh, 11 years in that community, nine years I was the basketball coach. In fact, we're going we're organizing our thirtieth year championship reunion this really? winter. Really? Wow! Gonna, the boys that were on that first <laughs> championship team are going to get together, and we're going to have a, a fun experience there. So,
1: wow! Do you mind if I ask how old you are? I am uh, sixty-three. Really? So, do you do you know do you remember a guy named uh, Coach Duke Reed from know, Brighton High School? I know Duke Reed. I know so, of him. Yeah. So I went to Brighton High School. I played basketball, mm-hmm. and we would do. Um, our team basketball camp during the summer, we'd go down to Ephraim. And oh, to Snow College, to Snow College, and we would do our basketball camps yep. there. Yep. And they were they were great because there were schools from all over the place that would come, and we'd do this kind of quote unquote camp slash tournament for yeah, the whole week. Yeah, you're just playing games, <laughs> just with your having team. games and having fun. Yeah. yeah, it was a blast. But uh, I was just curious
0: if you uh, had known him, Ron A. Biglin was. Well, you probably wouldn't have the coach of Snow College, but yeah, yeah, I knew I knew Coach Reed. Yeah, two of them. So. Yeah. So yeah, so we got
1: that in common. We both love basketball and you coached it, it sounds like, and
0: for 23 years.
1: For, for a long time. Yeah. yeah. How was that experience? What what I mean, this is a big question now, but what were some of the biggest tech takeaways of being a coach? Uh,
0: the, you know, I did that because um I had great coaches, especially one that became a mentor as I came back to the same school and he was still there. He wasn't a basketball coach, he was the football coach, but Uh, just a good friend, and I just wanted to, I wanted to go have, you know, teenage life was tumultuous. Mm. You can make a lot of, you can make a really dumb decision really quick and mess it up. Right. And I just kind of wanted to try to be a part of the solution. Mm. Uh, That was important. I loved basketball. I wasn't good enough to play beyond junior college, and so I wanted to do that, Uh, but it was a, it was a good life. It was a very hard life. Yeah. Uh, I had no idea that the ups and downs of it. Uh, it was a lot of work, uh, but it was very fulfilling. Uh, I had <clears throat> I had four I have four boys boys of my own. Three of them actually played on championship teams with me. Oh wow! That's the other great. one was younger, and he d- I didn't actually coach him. Hmm. But that was fun experience. Um, yeah. I got to work with hundreds of boys. Uh, I hope that I have as, I had as positive experience <laughs> f- or excuse me a positive influence on them as they had on me. It was a really yeah. growing thing for me. Um, uh, Like all people, I had a lot of maturing to do. When I was young, I was a little bit volatile. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) As I got older, I was less volatile in most ways, except for at (laughs) officials. Yeah. (laughs) But uh, (laughs) bless their hearts. Right. But it was a good experience. It was uh, something that uh, didn't pay a lot of money, but it paid a lot of relationships and dividends.
1: Yeah. So. Teaching and coaching and to be able to influence kids. I mean, that's got to be very fulfilling. Thinking back at, you know, even if it was one word you said that made an impact on this person's life, that to this day that you know, yeah. hey, you know, my coach told me this and it's really resonated with me for the rest of my life. That's that's kind of cool to think that you could have an impact like that.
0: And that's kind of the pay. You yeah, know, you don't. Yeah. I, I've got a lot of friends that are quite wealthy and they make a lot of money. I have a really good friend, John Van Sloten, who lives up in Heber. And, uh-huh. and he said this to me many times. He says, You know, Mark, I have spent my life in money and you spent your life in people. Mm. And wow. sometimes I wish, wish I would have spent my life in money, yeah. but not really because I really, yeah. I'm a people guy. I just like people. Yeah. And that's why I'm in this space. Yeah. So.
1: Well, and you're also, like we talked about, you're just, you know, you love learning. I, based on what I'm reading off your bio, I mean, you got a BS in mathematics and, and physical science and computer technology at Weber State later. Um, from Utah uh, you went to Utah State University, right? right. Um, um, in a gifted and talented education there. Um, you love learning. You, you, you're, you're very, you know, into education, why? Where did that come from? I mean, this rambunctious kid who loves sports. Where did that come from? You know, Todd, <laughs>
0: we could we could talk about that. I, uh, re- I read on the fifth grade level when I graduated high school. Really? Yeah, I was oh, wow. not a great student. I had, okay. I, I was, I am, I have ADHD. They didn't diagnose any of that stuff back then, and I'm right. kind of glad they didn't. <laughs> right. But but you know, I was one of those kids who yeah. couldn't sit still. I was one of those kids who. Didn't listen, didn't have, couldn't sit and listen and learn. Mm-hmm. So those things were all hard for me. But I don't make that as an excuse. I just yeah. want to play football. I wanted to yeah. go skiing. I wanted to, I wanted to go ride my dirt bike. Uh, I didn't want to sit in a classroom and learn a bunch of stuff. Yeah. And it was actually the experience I told you uh, before I went on my my LDS mission. Uh, I read six or seven really do- doctrinal books, including the Bible and the Book of Mormon, yeah. and I read them in about six months. Yeah, that's not an easy read. It's not an easy (laughs) read. So I really learned to read in about six months. Yeah, and that was a that was a pretty powerful experience for me because before that I'd been to Dixie College, Mm. uh, and I went to I had a a term schedule of five classes, and I went to each of those classes on test day.
1: Right.
0: (laughs) Yeah, literally. That's I did. I went to the first day, and I found out when the tests were going to be, and I went back for the tests. And my grades, uh, you know, in high school, I had the girls help me with the homework. Right, yeah. At college, I just said, well, I'm going to take the test and see what I get. So I didn't enjoy learning until I had that experience. And wow. I found out that it's kind of fun. Yeah. And so I, uh, not as much as I used to. I've read, if you, if there's a self-help book on the market that has any value, I probably read it. Yeah. I love history, American history, and yeah. I love religion. So Okay, love that.
1: You know, so... With your experience in teaching and coaching and and obviously people seeing the impact you're having and how good you are at it, you had a group of peers that uh, challenged you to do something. Would you mind sharing that story? Uh, Help me. With, with, you know, sentencing you to prison. Oh,
0: well I (laughs) (laughs) want (laughs) Encourage me to, okay. Or encouraging, Um, I don't know how we say that. It's, yeah, (laughs) one of the things about being a high school basketball coach in rural Utah is you become infamous. You make a lot of really good friends, but you make some, you also have to make a lot of decisions that aren't in everyone's favor. Right. And most of the people that I worked with were very good people and they would be upset for a week or so and then they would settle back into life and their kid would go on to do something different and everybody's happy. But there were some who didn't handle that as well um, and there were a couple of members of, on the school board there that were not fans. Mm. And okay. the reason for that, we could go into it, but it's not important. Yeah. Also, the principal that I worked with at the high school, we had completely opposite philosophies about education. Uh, and again, I could go into that, but it's not important. I would, I was, I require my, I, I, I define myself as a chihuahua in a Labrador's body. You know, I'm a big person. I'm six foot two or three yeah, and 220 big, big pounds. Guy, yeah. uh, but I don't sl- sleep much. I've, you know, five or six hours of sleep a night. I'm going all the time. I have a lot of energy. And so sitting in an office and not doing much at a as m- was not my cup of tea. And yeah. so I was always out engaged. And anyway, the principal and I didn't see eye to eye. Okay. And uh, he had his reasons and I had mine and I don't. Right. Anyway, he and those school board members wanted to get rid of me and uh, I had retired from coaching, was his assistant principal at the time, and uh, I'm I'm the last day of school, it was my third year in that position, and the superintendent called me up to his office at the school district office, I drove up there and walked in, and, and he said, you know, Mark, you're not gonna like this, but you're going to the prison to be the, be the principal, and I kind of went, what? Because <laughs> I had no interest. Some, this, right. you know, the school, to kind of give some background, The uh, there's a, there's a state prison in Gunnison, Utah, yeah. and it's inside of our school district, and our school oh, district okay. is responsible for the education program inside the prison. Oh yeah, I had no
1: idea. Pe- yeah, people don't realize yeah. that.
0: And so, uh, but there were some, for example, the man that I replaced is now the superintendent of that school, school district. Okay. So they, they used it <laughs> in a lot of different ways. Sometimes they used it to, to isolate or to, to put a teacher they didn't like out of the system, more or less other times it was a place to go for example ob- often administrators went there as a stepping stone or as a you know, just a time to you know to move on to something else like the superintendent i described yeah well i hadn't i had no interest in going and i was being sent the superintendent was at the time was a very good person and he made it as palatable as possible uh as financially as well as he said mark you know give it a couple years uh, this, these two school board members will be voted out. He was pretty confident. And, mm-hmm. and once that happens, you, we'll bring you back, back in the school. And yeah. when that what it did happen, and when it did happen, I had changed so much in my perception yeah. that I stayed there for another six. Wow. Well, I
1: think, you know, you mentioned that, you know, everyone has a perception of uh, – criminals in prison oh yeah and what they think of them like man they're the worst of the worst they're these horrible people who have done horrible things and And they have and and yeah but the but the but they're not horrible people they maybe have done a horrible thing right and your perception started to change right from what i understand is when you get there you you start realizing well they're good people but the system's broken yes they're not they're not getting the help they need to actually change their lives. And you started recognizing that, correct?
0: Correct, I got there and I was, I was gonna do my time and, just, <laughs> and get out. Yeah, <laughs> <You right. know? laughs> Literally, that was what my thinking was. And, yeah. and I started looking around, thinking, thinking the correction system was trying to help these derelicts and mm-hmm. it was a waste of everybody's time because they mm. were unfixable or unrepairable or yeah. unredeemable. Mm. But it wasn't two months, it wasn't even that long that I started meeting some of these men. And one of them in particular, but all of them, one of them in particular kind of got me started, or got us started down this road, but uh, I started realizing that it was a place, the prisons are a hopeless environment. Yeah. The inmates have no hope. They live in a very, very criminally based society inside a prison. The officers similarly, the ones who want to try to do the right thing are not encouraged in that regard. In fact, sometimes it's detrimental uh, to their career. Mm-hmm. Uh, most of the guards, and I, I want to do a pre-apology. Yeah. I, I don't want to <laughs> offend anyone or, or even be slight, to slight anyone. Yeah. Most of the officers I met are good people. They, in sure. fact, I they live in my community. We're a small yeah. town and yeah. I knew them and they're, they're trying to do the right thing. It's just yeah. the system tells them the wrong thing. <laughs> the system tells them that uh, what I described—they're derelicts, they're a waste of time, they're all—they're all dangerous. You can't trust any of them. We yeah. just house them, yeah. and that's what the system is. And what I discovered is, yes, they have—they have done bad things, and I don't want to minimize that. We need prisons. We sure. need police officers. I'm—I'm right. I'm not a defund anything yeah. in that neighborhood. Right. We I am need a, yeah. we need to keep society safe, and the people that aren't keeping society safe need to be incarcerated. Yeah. Um, but what I found out is once they're incarcerated, they're just taught or they're just put in an environment where their criminality perpetuates itself. Yeah. And though they have programming and they have all these things that they do, none of it is at all effective. And and most importantly, I found that they want to change. The men that they want to improve. Yeah, they want to become better. They want to find out what's wrong with them. Right. And fix it. Yeah. I mean they're in an environment that's the bottom of the pool. They're yeah. in a cesspool right at the bottom. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I, there's what's lower. And so right. they don't want to live there. They don't want to be there. They want to figure out how to get out up and out of the cesspool and have a life like you have or yeah. like I have or like yeah. our neighbors have. For sure. So that's yeah. what I discovered. Well, you know,
1: you shared with me some statistics and I thought that those were um pretty profound. I don't know if you know them by heart. Do you want yeah. to share some of those statistics? That, so give to give our listeners an understanding of this upward battle that you were facing and
0: that we still face to this day Yeah. with, with changing these people. Nin- 95% of the pe- incarcerated people in the United States will be eventually released from prison. 95%. Over 70% of them will return to prison okay. within five years. Wow. So there's something not working in the system. You, you've interviewed Dave DeRocher at The Other Side Academy. Yeah. They have a plus 70% success rate in yeah. their program yeah. with the same demographic. They're not they're not just pulling the average Joe in there. Exactly. I think he said 26, uh, I think he said his students twenty have been to prison 26 times yeah. on, the average, on the average, in yeah. and out of jail. Yeah, So he's dealing with a tough demographic. Tough they craft. succeed 70% of the time. The Department of Corrections in Utah re- succeeds 30 less than yeah. 30% of the time. Yeah. So that's an interesting demographic. That is. Uh, 80, 79% of the people going in prison, if, if 100 people were to go into prison today, 79% of them would be re, repeat offenders. Wow. Uh, 80% of the people that are going in have been there before. Only yeah. 20% are new. Wow. Um, that puts uh, it in perspective. 80% have serious addiction issues. About a third have serious mental, diagnosable mental illness issues. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, 55, 56% of them have children under 18. And and there's some statistics that are pretty indicative of a broken system. Yeah. Well, and then such a ripple effect if if they're
1: going into prison and they're not getting the help and the the lift up that they need to, to never come back. And not only never come back, but actually just improve and be a better be human being. Be productive. Right. Don't be a burden anymore. Right.
0: Right. Because we're just paying for them. Yeah. They're just living off the system. I'm, and I, yeah. I say that not literally. They're not thinking that way. But that's what's happening. Yeah. We're we're paying for them to live. Yeah. And they're. It makes no sense.
1: <laughs> well, you had you you had a huge impact while you were there. Will you talk about that and and what what did you start incorporating and how were you able to kind of connect with these? These people who, like you said, at quote-unquote maybe believe they're unredeemable, they can't,
0: they're never going to get out of this. Yeah. How did you, what did you do? Well, I, I started talking to them. I started to get to know them. Um, uh, I mentioned that Charles Gordon, who's still in prison, uh, was the, one of the first people I met. And I brought him into my office, and I would spend hours in my office with him, mm-hmm. and then we brought other people in, and everybody thought I was crazy. Mark, you can't be in your office with these men. They're terrible men. It's dangerous. Yeah. Well, my office is a fishbowl, and the door was open. (laughs) Yeah, right. (laughs) I mean, (laughs) you know, uh, (laughs) we could have had the meetings in the hallway. Yeah. Uh, And I might add that very unique in Gunnison Prison is we had a corridor with 12 classrooms, so we kind of had a little school.
1: Yeah. So guys
0: were coming into the corridor and and going to the classes with the teachers. Well, I had an office right in the middle of that scenario, and and it was a fishbowl. Anyway, I started talking to them and and I started finding out that my perception of them was wrong. Mm. Yeah, they'd done terrible things and they needed, and every one of them that I worked with admitted, I need to be incarcerated. I don't belong in society the way I was. But I also found out that they wanted to change. Mm. They trusted no one. It took a long time for me to build trust. But with the group, little group I had, we took that trust and we let it grow. We used the Dave DeRocher. The Other side academy to each one teach one model, yeah. I and we that. reached out using love that using inmates, yeah. And over a short period of time, they came to a large group of them came to trust us. And at the, when I went into prison, there were 247 students in that school of 1500 men. Um, the short story, and there, and we, we did secondary education reading, writing, arithmetic, yeah. history, science you know stuff like that. Yeah. They could get a GED or they could get a high school diploma. Um when I left the facility after 8 years, uh we had over 1100 inmates involved, wow. directly involved in our program, and we had expanded the program to to post secondary without any additional money. Okay. Well, I'd gotten some grants, so I guess yeah. I did get some additional money, but it wasn't from it wasn't from corrections, right. it wasn't really from traditional means. Okay. Um, we had added a complete set of building trades programs even to the point of, <clears throat> excuse me, we had, we, had build a, we had an outbuilding or we had a, a yard to the west of our corridor and guys would go up. We had created a shop and they were building sheds and building picnic tables and building things. And we just created that uh, yeah. with some funding. We had a, a computer coding boot camp uh, my son is a coder, and <laughs> we found a guy in prison who was a, a high-level coder. And we created this thing so that these men could learn computer coding. And, and we had, yeah. we, when I started, we had 35-some-odd computers for students. When I left, we, have, we had over 130. So we gone and got some grant money so we could buy computers. And, and these guys were—we ran 26 students through that program, the computer code program. Um, last spring, I met with six of them mm-hmm. who had jobs on the streets. Wow, and only one of them had any computer experience prior. Wow, so it, we, we were just really doing some neat things yeah um, We brought in co- we brought, we, I got communicating with Salt Lake Community College, Weber State, and Snow College, and they were bringing in programs to teach uh, Salt Lake Community College had a professor that that would communicate with me and I would communicate with our one of our teacher students and they would teach the class, give the homework, oh. receive the homework, we'd ship it back up, we'd do all the testing, we had a testing center so it was just like a university. Yeah. If they wanted to take a test for a class, uh, for anything, they went into this testing center so it was secure. Uh, Snow College, we actually hired in, well, hired isn't the right word, Snow College approved inmates who had master's degrees in business, one of them, uh-huh. to teach business classes wow. and give credit. Really? Yeah. That's amazing. And so we did some really neat things. Yeah. Uh, and it was really exciting. Uh, we Again, we had 1,100 students. I had uh, over 100 volunteers, inmates who would come and give at least 10 hours of their week to, just to serve. They didn't get paid. They didn't receive any re- remuneration. We'd give them an incentive once a year. We brought yeah. them in, let them watch a movie, and gave them some popcorn. Yeah. And it's amazing what you can get guys who do for popcorn. <laughs> <laughs> right. You know, you, go to, you yeah. go to primary and you don't bring Skittles or you don't bring M&Ms. <laughs> you're, right. you're, you're not very smart. You're not very smart, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so yeah. that's what we did. And it was, a, it was, a, it was amazing. Yeah. Uh, but when, when we first started, men were dragging their feet. They did not want to come. And, and when we got to the end, they were anxiously engaged in, yeah. in their learning and trying to improve themselves. It's what yeah. they were doing. They saw someone who cared, someone who loved them, uh, and someone who wasn't working for the government. <laughs> yeah, you know, I was a government employee, but I wasn't. I I didn't. I was someone who cared. Yeah, and I just did the things that I'd done in my career. You know, I was a coach, so I I enabled, I empowered people. Yeah, I empowered uh, my players to improve, and that's all we did here. We just empowered. This little, starting with a small group of inmates, uh, and it spread to a larger group of inmates, and we just empowered them. We didn't hire criminals. If guys were, you know, if guys were yeah. breaking the rules, we fired them. Yeah. I had one guy I fired five times. <laughs> uh, he right. just kept coming back, and by the, finally the last time he stuck, because he realized that I wasn't going to put up with any shenanigans. Yeah, uh, We used the each one, teach one model. We used the trust but verify system uh Dave DeRocher, I met Dave at the, from mm-hmm. the other side academy. He came in and spoke. I think it was twenty fourteen or twenty fifteen yeah I met him then. I immediately went to the other side academy and and we stole a lot of their stuff yeah <laughs> yeah, yeah, if they're doing it right, let's yeah. uh, let's let's mirror it and let's do the same thing so yeah this the sad thing, I retired in nineteen in uh, I might add the principal who got me sent to prison. Voluntarily took my job. <laughs> really? Yeah. Interesting. Uh, the, one of the school board members who had been removed from the school, you know, been unelected yeah. from the school board, applied for a job at the prison. <laughs> oh my gosh! So we had turned to school. We we had the we had the, <laughs> we had the largest school in the district, 1,100 students. Yeah. We had the, the, we had one of the largest adult education programs in the state. Uh, so it was really it was pretty cool. Sadly. Within two years, that program was pretty much gone. And now it's completely decimated. All the computers are gone. There's less than 200 students. Uh, All the programs, post-secondary programs are gone. It's gone. And it's indicative of the Department of Corrections unwillingness to fulfill the second half of their mission statement. Uh, And it's sad. And, And that's why I'm back in this space. Well, that's part of why I'm back in this space I stayed in this space. I wrote the book, yeah. All My Ther- Friends Are Felons. Um, uh, that created a little, a little homemade <clears throat> committee of yeah. people, of like-minded people who got together, a senator and Paige Norton and John Van Sloten and, and other people right now, uh, Senator Darren Owens. And we started working to, for legislative change to try to figure out how to fix this broken system we kind of, we worked and we got discouraged and then we come back and we and go. Yeah. Uh, but then something happened this spring that brought me through, back into the space with both feet. Um, and that's the reason why we started our podcast. We have a podcast, All My Friends Are Felons, where we interview formerly incarcerated who have changed their lives. and are, yeah. Their neighbors don't know that they were incarcerated because they yeah. live just like you and me. Yeah, you'd never know. They go to work, yeah. they yeah. take care of their families, they're good neighbors. Uh, but we interview those people, and it's been a quite a fun experience. We we just launched October sixteenth. Wow, congratulations! That's awesome, and we're doing quite well. Yeah. We have a have fun stories. Uh, but <laughs> the bet. reason I got back into the space is yeah. in the spring. The previous I had I had known three, in the state of Utah, there's co- what's called the executive director of the Department of Corrections, who's the boss over the wardens. Hmm. He's the guy. He's the he's the where the buck stops. Yeah. I had known 3 of them previously. And though they were real good men, they had no idea how to attack the the problem. In fact, they one of them didn't even think there was a problem. They just they wow. couldn't fix it. The machine is so big they couldn't yeah. fix it. Yeah. In the spring, the governor appointed a man named Brian Red to be the new director. Hmm. And and the story of me finding out that is there's a lot of fun stories in there, but the the short story is uh, Brian is an amazing person. He was actually in, in charge of Project Rio Grande here in Salt Lake City to help the, to deal with the homeless population, pe- population and to find yeah. solutions. He did that about, I'm guessing five, seven years ago, something like that, very successfully. Hmm. Although he's gone and it's gone, the, prog- the the project. Anyway, he's taken over the prison system, and he's he's in, he's a new executive director, yeah. and he's an amazing guy and he played basketball for me 35 years ago. Wow. Yeah. So <laughs> uh, when he was a app- when he was appointed and I realized who he was. Yeah. I I reached oh, out yeah. to him and we met and we talked <laughs> and he's an amazing person. Yeah. And he is going to change the system. He is going to work with his people and he's he's not going to he's not a Come in and smash with the hammer, kind of a guy. Yeah. He just knows how to how to minister, how to do it, yeah, and and how to. Is he leaning on
1: you too for like how you did things and? Uh, a yeah, little bit, but or? he's
0: got so many. He's I was just curious. I'm just a small piece of the cog. Okay, he's got stories about me when we were together. <laughs> Some of them are fun, <laughs> but but uh, <laughs> he he comes from a great family. I actually worked for his dad when I was in high school, so I, I know the family very well. Anyway, he's a, he's already making incredible changes that are going to empower the system to change. Mm. And it's not gonna over, happen overnight. But anyway, that's why I started our podcast. I felt like that's oh, something yeah. I could do yeah. to support, to help people, help the general population realize that I was wrong. They're not unredeemable people. Yeah. They're not, they, they did do bad things and they need to be incarcerated. Yeah. But, but once they're incarcerated, if we don't help them change, it's stupid. Yeah. <laughs> and it, it flat is stupid. I mean, we 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 expect that they're going to change themselves because they got locked up. Right. And the opposite's true. They get worse because they're around criminals, they talk about it, they brag about it. They mm-hmm. they, they have to live in that gang-filled environment or to survive, they have to get along. <laughs> yeah. And change is really hard. Yeah. And we expect them to May wave, wave a magic <laughs> wand over them. Okay, yeah. you're out of prison, you're out. Of, yeah. your addictions are all gone, your your bad thinking errors are all gone. Yeah. All those things are better. You're going to go live a really nice life. Good luck. We don't they get, they don't have a driver's license. Yeah. They, they don't even know how to get one. Yeah. Most of them have never used the internet. I mean, think about that. Yeah. It's not so much now, but when I went in 2011. Yeah. It, you know, if they'd been in for 11, 12 years, they didn't even know what the internet was unless they wow. read it in a magazine. Wow. <laughs> Phones? Cell phones? It's amazing. <laughs> I mean, you think about these yeah. things. and They don't know how to navigate our new world, and they did, they wouldn't know how to navigate the old one. They're given very little help. Yeah. They give them 50 bucks at the gate and say, good luck. Check in with your PO, your, your parole officer. And so they're not prepared at all to to go into life. It's like, you know, if you're a parent and you've got a child, and you let him run amok for 16 years, mm. and then you say, okay son, You're going to be an adult in a couple years. We're going to straighten you out. And it doesn't work that way. It takes a long time to get broken. And it takes a long time to repair. Yeah, for sure. There's no quick
1: fix. No quick fix. Wow. So you wrote this book, All My Friends Are Felons. Yeah. And I love the title, by the way. And I think that's very appropriate because I think what I'm hearing is the reason why you were so successful is Th- th- these people that were locked up started considering you a friend. Absolutely, because they felt they felt you said you f- you showed them love, you would listen to them, you you treated them as a human being. Yes. I mean all these things and and I you know in, in my business here with uh with my clients, you know, in recovery, connection is truly the opposite of addiction, right? It's when we're fully connected to someone, and that's what I'm hearing is these these inmates at the time felt connected to you. Yes,
0: I would say so. Yeah.
1: I was, I,
0: <laughs> I was certainly connected to them.
1: Yeah, absolutely, and I know you get emotional when you think yeah. of that a little bit here. And I love that you're doing the podcast because it's another way to connect. Yeah. Now, tell us more about this book. Is it about just your experience while you were in there, or is there more to it, or is it just mainly kind of your overall view of everything that you went through in it, there? It's
0: my experiences. It okay. talks about the beginning uh talks about getting sentenced to prison um there's yeah. there's different chapters uh that talk about the story uh it opens up with how how i decided to write a book i mean I, i'm a am yeah. a dumb basketball coach who <laughs> basketball coaches don't write books unless they're about basketball right yeah uh and that was an interesting story in and of itself sure. and and i i'd recited, decided to retire we we're going to south southern utah to do a adult education meeting with my peers. Um and we went down to Purgatory, which is a uh, jail in Saint George. St. George, yeah. Washington County. Yeah, what a name by yeah. the way. What a name. <laughs> who came uh, up with that? I don't name? know. But uh sorry they had started they had started our code camp down there. The code, oh, Okay. And, and so we were trying to I was trying to expand I was working with a half a dozen of the county jails who house state inmates. So we don't realize that but I won't go into all the details, but there oh, are county, good. there are state yeah. inmates that go to, to multiple counties yeah. and are housed there for money, for financial purposes for the county so they can have a nice jail. But So anyway, we'd started these programs in different county county jails, and I'd gone to purgatory. I was going down to purgatory to do that. I went into their education room and was mm-hmm. talking to their director there, Josh Boatwright. And as we're sitting there, oh, a dozen or maybe 20, probably not 20, 15 guys come into the education classroom. And of the, there's a dozen of them that I know. Yeah. There's six or seven of them I know by name. Wow. And they all come up to me, hey Mark, what are you doing? And I said, well I just came to try, try to help you put this together and make it work. And so I'm chatting with these guys like they're my friends. Yeah. I mean, yeah. they are. They are, they, yeah. I know them, but I know their first yeah. names. Uh, I can. We had experience together. And anyway, I turned around to, Bo- to Josh kind of sheepishly and I said, all my friends are felons. <laughs> and he yeah. said that sounds like the title for a great book. And, and that was the beginning. That was the beginning. <laughs> that was the beginning. Wow. I got back to the car and I told I uh, excuse me, I told Angie the story and I started thinking about this and next thing you know, I just started writing down my stories. And, uh, mm. Each chapter is kind of a, has a different theme. Yeah. It they almost all have to do with some experience or experiences mm. I had. I had two I had two inmates who co-authored the book. So part All of it's around. written by, by one of them a former inmate and uh-huh. the other uh, an inmate now. And it, their stories are incredible.
1: That's awesome. So yeah.
0: That's the book. And it yeah. talks about the problem. It, it just talks about my evolution. And then, and then when we get to the end, it talks about a solution. And Got I've that. actually submitted that solution to the new director and he's very interested. He's also very interested in The Other Side Academy and some other things we do. Good,
1: so. wow making some changes. Some things are happening. Things yeah. are happening. So it's good. Yeah, isn't that cool? Like again like what your friend said who's, you know, I've been, I've been involved my life's been involved in money, your life is involved with people. people. And and that's obviously you're very good at that. And co- co-
0: coaching is no um easy task either, right? <laughs> coaching it's, kids. It's all about right? people and dealing with kids and parents and yeah. and all kinds of things that yeah. we, parents that have <laughs> nothing to do with basketball. <laughs> Right. Well, you know, and parents are great. No, uh, I know they love their kids.
1: They're just, yeah, they're, yeah, they get a little zealous. Yeah, <laughs> but so. uh, um, I know this is a big question because you've got many stories and many experiences. You know, you even mentioned, you know, you can now see, you, you're able to see the viewpoint through an inmate's eyes and what they're going through. If you could sum it all up, like, what's the biggest takeaway? Or the lesson that you feel like you learned, like what what did you learn through this process of being uh the principal
0: out there, the prison? You know, that's a big that's a big I know answer. Um there's just a couple of things. I think I think one thing that I'd have to say is from a Christian perspective, uh all men are redeemable. Hmm. And it's often the case in our culture. We live in a wonderful state. Are you, I assume you're born in Utah. Oh, yeah. I'm from, it yeah, is a yes. wonderful place to yeah, live. It really is. There yes. are great people Yeah, and uh, of all denominations. It's just a wonderful, yeah. wonderful state. Um, But sometimes I think we think redemption stops with the with the suffix of felon. Mm. I did. Yeah. I thought, oh, those guys, they're, they're derelicts. <laughs> yeah, you know they—they're they're yeah. trash. They're garbage, and I came to realize that I was wrong. That mm. not only are they redeemable, they want redemption. You know, they, yeah. there's not one of them. They get with their—they get in a criminal state, and they all talk, talk about how they did this terrible thing or that terrible thing. But when they come to, when they come to themselves, and when they move to change, they have deep regret for what they've done. Yeah. They can't fix it. Can you go change your your past life? The best no, no. I'm I know you've hurt people because you're a human being. Sure. I know I've hurt a lot of people. Yeah. Yeah. And you I feel bad it. for those things. Some things I don't even realize I did. Yeah. But I, you know, I don't want to hurt people. Yeah. And and I believe most people are good. Yeah. That's a I believe that most people want to do good. Mm. And I believe that true with inmates. Yeah. Their challenge is they just men often either don't know how or don't have a path. They, they can't get out of their mire yeah. long enough, out of their rut long yeah. enough to make a change. One of, the, one of the parts of the story that's a big catalyst of this story was the violin story. And I don't know if you've looked at that. No, I haven't yet. Um, yeah, tell us about it uh, Real quick, please. Uh, in 2016, the Department of Corrections did a symposium at Salt Lake Community College. And it was the one time which I, when I really had a lot of hope. They, it was a wonderful symposium. They brought in a bunch of speakers. The lieutenant governor spoke, spoke several senators spoke, a legislator spoke, excuse me, a, a judge spoke. Mm-hmm. But the most impactful speak, speaker to me was a former felon, was a felon, yeah. formerly incarcerated. Yeah. And he told his story. And he had, he had been born in, uh, or he'd been raised, in, or he gr- was living in Montana with his mom, his sister and they had, and then his mom had a boyfriend. He had a baby brother born, and soon the dad disappeared. He didn't want anything to do with all that mess anymore. Yeah. And his mom was destitute. She moved back to Ogden, where she was from, to try to get support from her family. So he went from isolation in Montana, Montana to what I would call Utah's inner city between Harrison and, and uh, Washington. Yeah. That's a right. tough place. Tough place. Sure. A lot of good people there. I lived on Brinker for a while when I went oh, to college. Yeah. So, yeah, okay. <laughs> so a lot of good people there, but yeah. it's a tough neighborhood. It can be a tough yeah. neighborhood. Anyway, he grew up. He he starts, you know, his mom's trying to work and figure it out, and he's got nothing. He start, he he finds some clothes on the neighbor's clothesline. He puts them on, and they fit. He sees a bicycle <laughs> laying around, and he picks it up. And, oh, I've got wheels now. Next thing you know, he realizes a guy wants to buy some wheels, so he starts stealing bikes and selling them. Mm. Short story, he's in and out of juvenile detention, uh, goes to jail, prison, he goes to to jail first time, when he's 19, well he's standing in front, in front of a judge headed back to prison for the fourth time. And the judge is pretty disgusted and, and asks him if he has anything to say for himself. And He says, judge, can I ask you a question? He says, go ahead. And he says, can you play the violin? And the judge says, well no. So what if I asked you to play the Star Spangled Banner on the violin, could you do it? He said, no. He says, well, what if I put a gun to your head and threatened your life if you couldn't play the Star Spangled Banner on the violin? He says, no, I can't play the violin. He says, what if I threatened your family? Mm-hmm. He says, I can't do it, I never learned how. And the, <laughs> the excuse me, the kid, the the man, 29-year-old mm-hmm. man, yeah. kind of ducked his head and looked back at the judge, says, I never learned how to live a good life. Could you teach me?
1: Hmm. Wow.
0: That's the Dave DeRocher story in a different version. Exactly. So this judge, instead of sending him to prison, sending him to a, a therapeutic community, rehab facility, actually. And uh, he's, standing, he's standing here. He's 39 years old at the time. Ten years later, he has a, a wife and two beautiful children. He's got a business, yeah. he's, a, he's paying taxes, <laughs> he's living in communities, for, he's covered with tattoos. <laughs> you know, he's, yeah. he's got tats from head to toe, but he's yeah. a good, good man providing for his family, taking care of them. Because rather than just throw him in prison and let him do what they do, yeah. he, he had a different path. Now I'm not saying we shouldn't have prisons and I'm not saying that this guy shouldn't have maybe gone to, a, to prison, Right. but what has to happen when they get there? Yeah. is they need to, and that's the most important part of this story, I think, Yeah. they need an opportunity to change and if they want to change, they need to be separated from general population, where the politics go and the gang bangers go, and they need to be given an opportunity to grow and change and become. Yeah. And it happens when they come to themselves. I'm mm-hmm. a big fan of the prodigal son story. Yeah, came to himself. And he comes to himself, they come to themselves and they start to realize, Wait a minute, what Pops had was a whole lot better than what I'm having. Yeah, what am I doing here? <laughs> yeah. And they put hat in hand, and they don't go back and ask for it all back. They just go back and want to be a servant because yeah. it's way better than what they are. Yeah. And the humility, and, and, and the, so the, the, the accountability is what's happening there. They become accountable for who they are. They quit blaming dad. They quit blaming their the guy, the guy who molested them. They quit blaming their wife or their
1: mm-hmm.
0: whoever. Yeah. Right, They start saying, I am responsible for my life. I'm an Ooh, adult. That accountability is powerful. I am responsible. And what I gave up or what I could have over here, I have to take hat in hand, come to myself, and go ask get help. And then, what happens with the father is also important. The dad doesn't cast him aside. He doesn't push him. He says, come see me. Yeah. So, there's a there's a, uh, he, and he doesn't give up accountability. The kid's still accountable, but the dad loves him, yeah. and the dad helps him re- regain what he had. Yeah, and that's what has to happen. We well, can't. We can, can't have government programs and yeah. stuff. We got to have the the other side academy and Captain Your Story for sure, and these private programs that are allowed to go into prisons and change, let yeah. not change their lives, help these men do the work to change their lives. You know this, Todd, you can't change anybody. Nope. All you can do is provide ch- channels, opportunities, yep. pathways, ideas, yep. love, support, yep. and a kick in the butt. Yep, yeah, <laughs> that's it, yeah. So I'm sorry, I,
1: that's... No, no, it's beautiful, thanks for sharing that. You know, back to the prodigal son story, the the best part of that story, in my opinion, is when the father sees his son coming back, and the father already knows he's blown up his life. Yeah. And the first thing the father has for his son before he runs to him is compassion yeah. and 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 really, that's again, that's what you were showing these guys. Yes, at the end of the day, I've got compassion for you despite the things you've been through and the, despite the things you've done, that's why you've been successful. I can feel it here when I'm talking to you. I, I mean it's, it even make me a little emotional, but I can feel that. And we need more people like you who are doing these things because these people need a chance. They, and You're right. We can't do it for them, but we can definitely you know, help them and walk the walk with them, if you will. They
0: want to walk the walk. Yep. They, they just want don't to. know. They like don't. that
1: guy's like, show me how to be a good person. Will you just show me? Yeah. What do I do? How, I mean, talk about humility.
0: Yeah. I, I'm not a good person. Will you show me how to be one? Yeah. And they're like that. Right? They say that to me. Help me. And some, you know, I'm not saying to a man, and I'm not saying they're all the same. They all sure, but, but in, in general, that's where they are. Wow! And it's wow. a think about what it does that's for society. Right. Yeah. <laughs> 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 think about. <laughs> I'm doing better than you are. <laughs> I know.
1: I don't. Sorry, that just hit me hard when you shared that story. Wow.
0: It's it's a powerful story. Yeah. That's, it's part of the book. Yeah. In fact, it's the <clears throat> it's it's in the opening page of the book. <clears throat> a brief a brief synopsis of it. But I want to just imagine, look, at, we don't trust felons. Why don't we? 70% of them go back. Why would we trust a population, a group of population yeah. that is 30% good and 70% bad? Yeah. And the 30% that's good, they disappear into the culture. Yeah. <laughs> they they become us, and so we don't see them anymore, and all we see is the 70. But imagine how our society is different. Yeah. If these men come to themselves, are provided pathways, true, honest, real pathways, not in six months, not even, we're talking, it, it takes them 10 years to get broke.
1: Yeah. How,
0: you, you, we're gonna fix them in 10 days, 10 months? Yeah. How about two, three, four years? Yeah. How about eight years? Yeah. Dave DeRocher. Dave, yeah, was just, yeah, he stayed, stayed there. Eight years. Yeah, at Delancey like, Street for eight years. Yeah. And, and so we need to have those kind of programs on the inside where the criminal behavior is gone. The yeah. criminal, the criminals live on that side of the prison, yeah. and the guys that want to change live on this side. And yeah. there's no interaction. Yeah, they're separated, completely separated from the criminal. Yeah, and they're and they're and and the the officers. We love. I love officers, and we need officers. Mm-hmm. But we officers can't do this. <laughs> officers keep the peace. Officers arrest, and they're important. They throw a guy on the ground, throw him in handcuffs. They keep someone else from getting hurt. That's what they do, and we need them. But they're not designed, and they're not trained, and don't have the the ability to to do what you do, to do what Dave DeRocher does. Dave has lived experience. Sure, he knows what it like. It, he knows oh, what yeah. it like to be a dirtbag, <laughs> <laughs> right? He's a self-proclaimed dirtbag when yeah, he was, you know. Yeah. Is. And and but he's the most wonderful man I know. Yeah. He's as good a guy as God put on the planet. <laughs> <You> know, amen <laughs> and, to that, man. And so, we we have we need to separate him. We need to let him live that way for years. Yeah. And then and then once they get close to the gate, we need to let him go out for a day and come back, and then go out for a couple of days in a row and come back. Yeah. And so we're just okay. Here we go they they get their yeah. feet wet and they they get their driver's license they find a place to live they reconnect with people they should keep reconnect with and don't yeah, right. with the people they can't exactly and they know that so yeah. they don't even try yeah and 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 then and then instead of a big release date they gradually work into a, a now you're out for a week and now you're yeah. out for a month yeah and come back and see us and now and now you're free yeah and they they go to work they're faithful some of the best not some of the best employees I ever had. I had about forty, at one time forty-six employees Dang. that were inmates. Dang. Best employees I ever had. Yeah, 60, 70 seventy-hour weeks. <laughs> of course, they yeah. didn't have us to do, but but but, the, but yeah, hardworking, trust. I could trust them. Yep, they were doing the right thing. Were they perfect? Man, no. But I had to deal with things. just like every other employee. Right. Right. But they were great. So wow, I, that's what we need to do, and that's what my move. You know, we're calling this a movement. That's what our movement's about is, mm. is, is helping Brian, the new director, change the system, create change so that these men can change. You know, sometimes we think, we hear the old, the old adage that time heals all wounds. You know, maybe before we go, go there, hurt people hurt people. It, it very seldom does a healthy person, an unhurt person, hurt another person. Yeah. Hurt people, hurt people, yeah. and our system perpetuates that principle, the way it is now. And we need judges. I, I don't think we need to change a ton about. I think we need, need to empower police officers. Yeah. To do, I have a dangerous, scary job. Yeah. We don't want to limit them and tie yeah. their hands. Yeah. Do we want them to act act judiciously? Sure. Right but you know, they have to make some choices that are pretty tough in the split second and we're second guessing them. Yeah. So we don't want to do that. Yeah. Judges have a job to do and they need to take these people off the streets. They need to, because hurt people hurt people. Yep. But then we need to help them change over time. There's an old adage that says time heals all wounds because there's wounds in this world yeah, everywhere. Right. But I don't think that's true at all. I think change heals all wounds over mm. time mm. cuz change takes time. Love that. And service is the salve for those wounds. Amen to that. That you know and and that's what imagine our society, how our society changes if 30% of our the inmates go back instead of 70. Imagine it creates, everybody says, well, we, the prisons will be empty. Well, they won't be empty because there's a whole lot of other people that can benefit from a yeah. positive yeah. corrections system. Exactly. The, the system will never be unused. It might, right. be, it might, it might go down a little bit. Might which go down, which would be great. A great thing. Yeah. But there's so many people out there that are hurt, that are hurting and hurting others. Yeah. And so we bring that, they would get arrested because they broke the law and we bring them in and then when they come to themselves we help them change and we let them out and and when they come out they're ready to be good people good citizens yeah. they're what they they're becoming what they want to become yeah. we're not we're not forcing them we're not making them they're choosing and they will wow so that's the movement that's amazing I and love we're it. we're trying to what a gr- <laughs> what a great movement yeah
1: Man, you're, you're well-spoken um, and I love, I love how you just conduct yourself and carry yourself. I can feel it in the room. I know those listening to it can feel it as well. You, rhyme, you remind me a lot like Dave. <laughs> well, I love Dave. Yeah. He's an inspiration to me. Yeah. You know? I'd like to hire you two to be my bodyguards <laughs> and I think man, I, I'd feel pretty dang safe. <laughs> <laughs> well, we're both pretty big guys. Yes, you are. Um, if, if there's someone listening to you right now, and you've already shared some awesome stuff, who's struggling, they're in a dark place and they they just are, they're lost. What would you tell that one person who's listening to you right now?
0: That there are there are so many resources available. If you live here in Salt Lake City, if you live in Denver, there are others in other parts of the country. Mm-hmm. There are so many places where you can go and be safe and yeah. you can go to save yourself. Yeah. Um, there's people who love you and there's people who want to help you, but they're not the drug dealers. They're probably not your friends, yeah. the guys you hang around with. Right. They are people like Dave Rocher or like Amy Chandler or the Red Barn or Todd Sylvester, there are people out here who who have been, and I haven't been through addiction personally, but I've seen so. Yeah. <laughs> All my friends are felons, and eighty percent of them are addicts. Yeah, there are so many people that are willing and ready to love you and help you become yeah. what God does, d- d- destined you and designed you to become. And it's a choice. You know, you 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 come you fall into addiction. And you lose your, your ability to choose. The addiction takes over your life, yeah, right. and you've given up that choice, ability to choose. But yeah. you've got to find a time when you've got to say, I don't want to live this way anymore. And then you've got to reach out to people who can. Maybe it's a local bishop. Maybe it's a, a pastor. Maybe it's somebody who you can go, listen, I want change. Help me. Those people can find you the resources you need. Yeah. Get out of that world, because yeah. you'll never change in that yucky world you're in yeah so realize that there are so many good people out here that want to help you i love that and come yeah just come just (laughs) come to yourself yeah come back to come back to papa (laughs) come back to the people who love you yeah and realize that they'll take you back you know uh, i think a lot of these people are scared i'm so i actually have a (laughs) I was going to tell a personal story, but I think I won't. Okay. Um,
1: <laughs> you started this.
0: <laughs> I think you did. <laughs> <laughs> there are so many people that want to help you, mm-hmm. like you, Todd, like me, yeah. like Dave. There, and uh, I could, I don't know everyone, right? But in any community you're in you can find a church leader you can yeah. find a a, 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 right. a, a priest mm-hmm. you can find you can go to a doctor yeah don't let him prescribe you medication just f- find someone who wants to help you and get out of the world yeah po- and there will be people all over helping you uh there are so many I, programs even here in little old salt lake city uh and that's just, that's the answer don't settle don't say this is I'm not worth it you are yeah. you are worth it.
1: I love it. It's great advice and I agree with you there's plenty of people out there that want to help and make a difference yes. so you're not alone it may feel like you're alone right but reach out um, and with that said if if someone who's listening to this as well wants to get your book, they want to listen to your podcast they maybe even want to ask you a question
0: what what would be the best way for them to reach out to you? Um, I'm, we're on, we're on Facebook and Instagram. Okay. Uh, all my friends are felons. It's an easy thing to remember. <laughs> <laughs> That's pretty easy to remember. <laughs> yeah. Um, uh, my book publisher really didn't want me to use that name. And I said, you don't have a choice. We're going to use it. Cause I like it. Yeah. Um, <laughs> the book is on Amazon. It's also on audible. So awesome. I, I just recently put it on audible so people can yeah, listen to it. Did you do it? Is it your I voice? Did. It's my voice, and I'm not the best reader That's in the world. That's not an easy task. It was a. It was quite <laughs> arduous, actually. <laughs> yes. And uh, I'm not the most fluent reader, uh, uh-huh. in that sense. But I. Yeah. Oh, I hope it's I'm heartfelt. Great. Sure, it's great. I'm sure it's great. Um, all my friends are founds podcast. You can get it on any any platform. Platform. Yeah. I'll put all the links and everything in the show notes when we go live with this, so yeah. people will just quickly be able to get there and great stories this and that's yeah. about the, I just let these guys tell her these people tell her stories yeah. had had a lady on last week she just and her story was <laughs> if that doesn't bring tears to your eyes you got no emotion in you right. at all Yeah, she's got quite a story and I visited with a lady I get phone calls of people who want to be on the show and we talk and it's 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 humbling, yeah. To hear some of these stories, and if I told a lady last night, I said, "You know, Evelyn, if if I were in your shoes, I wouldn't be where you are. I'd probably be dead. Yeah. i'd I'd be in a uh, I'd be in a homeless shelter. I'd be living. I mean, how are you? How did you come so yeah, far? How are you out doing of, this? Yeah. How, and I'm just so amazed by these people, how they yeah. come out of this. I, I, I'm glad
1: you said that because I, I find myself all the time going. People are astonishing. Oh, they're
0: astonishing. They're wonderful. I, and and it's, it's those people. It's you that's yes. listening. That's at bottom of the pit. Yes. it's you that's wonderful. Yeah. You can do this. I've seen it. I hear the stories, and I talk. Yeah. To, I meet these people, and it's just it's you matter. You yeah. you are important. Yeah, you are loved. You are wanted. And you need to remember that.
1: Yeah. Wow. Thank you. Thank you, Mark. Thank you for being here. Well, thanks for having me on, Todd. Wow. This was awesome. I can't believe we've been going for over an hour. It felt like five minutes. (laughs) (laughs) It really did. I had the easy part, though. (laughs) Right? But thank you for um, being vulnerable and for sharing your gifts with the world and trying to make a difference. And you're still doing that. and um, I'm gonna get everyone I can to to listen to your podcast and to to buy your book and and hopefully I can at least support and be part of that movement you you're talking about and you know I love rubbing shoulders with guys like you because you know I I was once there before too in my life an addict and broken and damaged and didn't know if I was gonna make it and um, if it wasn't for people like yourself I wouldn't be sitting yeah. here with you today so I'm grateful. and look at for what that. you're doing look at the, look um, at
0: the good you do. Yeah. You know, you don't just go back to a making money life. He went back to a life of service and help. Yeah. yeah. And service is a great balm. Yeah. It's the balm that heals all wounds. <laughs> yeah. It is. And I want to share
1: something, maybe to end with this. Um, yeah. I had a client of mine here who he got up and he goes, Can I share this with the group? I'm like, Yeah, what is it? And he goes, And he and he, he was quoting someone else, but he put it in his own words and here's what he said. He said, I tried to find myself, myself, I could not see. I tried to find my God, my God eluded me. I tried to find my brother, I found all three. Wow. And I said the same thing, I went, wow. I go, there it is. Wow. There it is. I'm gonna steal that. <laughs> yeah, you can. It's your because
0: I stole it from him. <laughs> you can. It's all yours. <laughs> You're gonna. I'm gonna have to yeah. think it through, and you might have to repeat it. But. Yeah, I'll send. I'll text it to uh, you I, uh, um, for that's sure. That's beautiful. But that yeah. is that is just so true. Yeah.
1: Well, this is a great conversation. Thank you for sharing. I mean, you made my day. You made mine. So I hope you know that. Thanks, Todd. Yeah. Okay, guys. Mark, everyone, man, thanks for being here. Thanks for tuning in. Um, I'm gonna put all the links to to Mark's book and his podcast that you guys can just directly click on it and get there. Um, reach out to him on Instagram or Facebook. Ask him a question. If you got someone who's struggling, you know, ask Mark a question on what to do. You can ask me. Obviously, you guys know that. Um, I like to say this too. If you have a family member or a friend who is down and out and you're not sure how to communicate or get to them, send them a link to this episode. It'll break the ice. And then you follow back up with them and say, hey, what did you get from that episode with Mark and Todd, and and you? you it will open up some, um, it'll open up their heart, if you will, right? So, Mark, once again, you're the best. Thanks for uh, your time, and uh, good luck to all the good things you're doing, and uh, we'll do whatever we can to support you. Thanks, Todd. Okay, till next time, everyone. Love you guys. Take care.